Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. Well, if you have your Bible, turn open to Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12. You can't really talk about the gifts and call of God without talking about, because some people's gift and their call is the fivefold ministry. And so, as I told you this morning, a lot of people, they don't understand. They have no idea what any of those roles are. What is the pastor? What is the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist? Uh, so a lot of people have no knowledge about the subject, with no teaching at all. And then what they do have is just something that someone's taught from speculation. Well, you know, this is what I think the evangelist is. This is what I think the prophet is or the pastor is. Well, you can think things all day long, but my goal really is just to look at what the scripture has to say about the subject uh, and get God's idea about what those offices are and how they function. Amen. And so this morning, we read over Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. We'll go ahead and read that again. It's this. It says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave the church. Say gifts. Again, it's important for you to understand. Gift, divine favor, ability, grace, apart from merit. So that means that these appointings to the body of Christ, the pastor the evangelist, the prophet, the teacher, the apostle. It's unmerited. God doesn't pick the most spiritual. He doesn't pick the best person. He doesn't pick the people that are, that are more qualified and equipped. He picks people based off of his own sovereign will and purposes. Amen. Bailey, if you will, please. Thank you. Hallelujah. So this morning we talked about the apostle, we went over the prophet, we went over the evangelist tonight. I'm just going to go ahead and dive right into this. Let's talk about the pastor. Pastor, can you say pastor? What is a pastor? What is a pastor? Write that down in your notes. Number four of the fivefold, pastor. If you look at the definition of a pastor, it actually means this. Herdsman or shepherd. Herdsman or shepherd. In fact, that word, that word, that Greek word that's used here for pastor, it's used 16 times in the New Testament. And the only time that it's translated pastor is right there in Ephesians 4.11. Every other time that it's translated, it's, it's used as the word shepherd. And so for us to understand what is a pastor, we must actually know what is a shepherd because that pastor means shepherd. It's synonymous with the word shepherd. And so... Again, pastor, it means a herdsman, it means a shepherd. In the parable, it's he whose care and control others have committed themselves and whose precepts they follow. The presiding officer, the manager, the director of any assembly. So the pastor of the church would be the shepherd or the presiding officer, the manager, the director of any assembly. So of Christ, the head of the church, of the overseers of Christian assemblies. And so, again, we could speculate what is a pastor, 
But really, again, the word pastor, it simply means shepherd. So if we want to understand what, a, what the role of a pastor is, we need to look at what the role, the biblical role of a shepherd is. Amen. So let's go ahead and turn. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, this is entitled, The Good Shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And so I think it's pretty important if we want to know what is God's idea. When God says the word pastor, the word shepherd, what does he mean? Well, Jesus is about to tell us. He said, I am the shepherd. So the best thing that we could actually do to understand the role of a pastor or a shepherd is to look at Jesus himself, his attributes, what he did, what he said, and see the role of a quote-unquote pastor. And so Jesus said this, starting in verse 1. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be the thief or a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And it says, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. The sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Can I tell you something? Jesus said the sheep won't follow the voice of a stranger. I know that we have a responsibility, especially me as a shepherd, and again, we'll look more at what this role is. That we have this responsibility to keep people, you know, keep them uh, in the flock, keep them from being led astray, keep them from being deceived, keep them from being snatched away by the wolves because you're going to see in just a moment that wolves will try to come into the sheep pen and pull the sheep away from the flock. That's the job, that's the, uh, that's the ambition, that's the mission of a wolf is to do that. And so, yes, we have a responsibility as shepherds, as Christians, brothers and sisters, to keep our brothers and sisters from being led astray. But ultimately, let me tell you this. You have a responsibility to help your brother and sister, but every Christian has the responsibility to know the voice of their God. You know, all day long, I'm telling you, we've had people that have gotten snatched, pulled, things, the issues of life, deceptions. Other people come, drag them away, sway them from not coming and being a part of what the Lord is doing. And it breaks my heart. And sometimes in bed, I say, Lord, you know, I'm thinking, Lord, I wish I could have done this. I could have done that. I could have done all these things to try to help that person. That may be true. At the end of the day, we're always going to say, I could have, should have, would have done a hundred more things. But at the end of the day, God's sheep know his voice and do not follow the voice of the robber. So you could actually flip that and, and understand this then. If God's sheep know his voice and don't follow the voice of the robber, then if a person is following the voice of the robber, what does that mean? Either A, they don't know the voice of their father or they're not his sheep. Praise God. In fact, Jesus actually said that. He said that he did not lose a single one who the Lord had entrusted to him. 
He didn't lose a single one who the Lord had entrusted to him. But when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, did people walk away from Jesus? Yes, they did. Didn't, G didn't Judas walk away from Jesus? So how did Jesus, how did he justify that statement? I didn't lose a single one the Father gave me. Well, ultimately, if they walked away, then they weren't his sheep. Amen. So let's see here. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't uh, understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Look at that. The true sheep, the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to kill, to steal, and destroy. I read that backwards. The thief's purpose is to steal, is to kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them, who's them? The sheep, a rich and satisfying life. So, number one, what is the role of a pastor? Number one, he leads the sheep to life and life abundantly. That is the role of a shepherd. He leads the sheep to green pastures. Go ahead. You may have it memorized by now, but look at Psalms 23. Psalms 23, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Psalms 23, it reads this. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want, or I have all that I need. So again, if the word pastor simply means shepherd, that means, remember this, Jesus was all five of the fivefold ministry. He was an apostle. He was an evangelist. He was a teacher. He was a pastor or a shepherd. He was a prophet. He was all of them. Jesus ascended into heaven, and he sent the Holy Ghost, the gift, to the earth. And what does the gift do? The gift, the Holy Ghost, gives people special abilities to what? Function in those different roles that made up the person of Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ. So the whole point is that it, it, is you, if you take this piece and this person and this gift and this thing the Lord gave you and you put it all together and you step back, it would look just like Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And so... You know, again, so what the Lord did is while he was on this earth, he was a shepherd to these people, to the people of Israel. And then he went into heaven, and the Holy Ghost came, and the Holy Ghost anointed men to fill in that role of shepherd on the earth. So how does the Lord shepherd people on this earth? He, he anoints people to be the shepherd. Amen. How does the Lord speak on this earth? He anoints people to be the prophet. How does the, the Lord... Uh, Operate in the office of the apostle, he anoints people to operate in that office, and they do it on, in his behalf. And so, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Again, this is under the point that the shepherd leads the sheep to abundant life. This is the role of every pastor that he should say to his people. I, as the shepherd, I want to lead you to the place where you shall not want. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. Praise you, Lord Jesus. 
to come along people, to walk alongside them, to come out in front of them, lead them to peaceful, say peaceful, peaceful. streams, say green pastures. It says this, he renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. So what's the role of a shepherd? Guide along right paths. The role of a shepherd is to come alongside people and guide them along the right path. Pretty self-explanatory. Bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare feasts for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. Surely your goodness and unfailing uh, love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. So go back to John 10.10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose to give them a rich and satisfying life. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. So that gives you the second attribute there of what does the shepherd do? He sacrifices his life for the sheep. Amen. He lays his life down for the people. I want to tell you, if you feel a call to ministry, everybody thinks the platform, everybody thinks the leadership, everybody just thinks preaching the sermons, but your call as a pastor is not about you. And many of you feel that call. And, and I know nobody in this room thinks like that, but we have a generation coming up that sees celebrity Christians, celebrity speakers, celebrity ministers, and they think that that's their ticket to fame, that's their ticket to wealth, that's their ticket to all of these things. No, ultimately, it's a life of servanthood. I lay my life down for the people. This is not about me. This is about the people. Yes. Praise God. Right. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, you better get ready. If you ever step into that role, your phone's going to ring all the time. You're going to be dealing with stuff all the time. But that's okay. That's part of the role. You know, you don't, it's not a normal life. You don't just get to clock in and clock out and clock in on Sunday morning and then you clock out and you're disconnected. I mean, you lay your life down for the benefit of the people to bless them. Let's keep reading. A hired hand will, will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's only working for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. So number three, what does the shepherd do? He doesn't run when the wolves attack but protects the sheep. To really step into the role of a shepherd, you do not roll when the wolves attack, you protect the sheep. Praise God. You know, ultimately, you can really see where a person's at when pressure's put on them. And again, I don't say this in condemnation or anything like that, but at the end of the day, Jesus said you could determine the difference between a hireling and a person that's been called and appointed and carries the conviction of Jesus Christ based off of what they do when the wolves attack. What do they do when a nation now all of a sudden begins to turn on the people of God? What do they do when a nation begins to turn on the rights of the people of God? What do they do? Do they run 
and they just say, fend for yourself, figure it out, or do they fight for the sheep? So let's keep reading here. So it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. I know my own sheep, and they know me. The last attribute of a shepherd is he knows the sheep, and the sheep know him. That's really important. Again, one of the roles of a pastor is to get to know, have fellowship. You know, I guess the reason I'm preaching this, and I'm preaching it to me, maybe you don't know, but in some of the circles that I've been brought up in and that I've heard is that it's just taught you have to disconnect your life completely from people. You can't do life with them. You can't be friends with them. You can't hang out and play board games together. You can't go out and eat and do things. That's really taught. There's a, there's a whole circle of Christian ministers that really believe that way. You know, that you live this little reclusive life and there needs to be clear separation because boundaries will get crossed. And it, well, ultimately, though, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. They know me. I know my sheep and they know me. Hallelujah. In fact, underneath the definition of the, of the word shepherd, if you look at a, a lexicon and you read that Greek word shepherd, this is actually one of the sentences underneath that, that definition. It means this. It says, a shepherd in the Near East was responsible for watching out for enemies trying to attack the sheep. So... Again, whenever they, they, they thought about a person, a pastor of a church, they were actually, the closest word they could come up with is those guys that, that are out in the, in the field tending the flock. What they do for the flock is what the pastor is supposed to do for the people. And so what they did for the flock in the east, the shepherds were responsible for watching out for enemies trying to attack the sheep. Defending the sheep from attackers. Look at this. What else did they do? Healing the wounded and sick sheep. What is one of the roles of a pastor? Healing the wounded and sick sheep. A true mark of a shepherd is not just simply, I mean, just rejecting people. You look at people that aren't perfect. You look at people that are flawed. You look at people that are coming straight out of the world. Your job is to not judge them. Our job as a shepherd is not to reject them. A shepherd's job is to wound and heal the hurt sheep. Amen. Come alongside, help you, pour into you, love you, walk with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Healing the wounded and sick sheep. Finding and saving the lost or trapped sheep. Loving them. And sharing their lives. And to earn their trust. Sharing their lives to earn their trust. So the pastor healed the wounded and sick sheep, found the lost, found and saved the lost and trapped sheep, loved the sheep, and shared their lives, attempting to earn the sheep's trust. In fact, there was two different types of shepherds. There was eastern shepherds, there was western shepherds. And in the west, the, you know, the, the shepherds really had a herdsman-type mentality. They, they just treated the sheep like animals. But the eastern shepherds were different. They didn't treat the sheep like animals. They treated the sheep like family. 
and they would go out into the flock and they would gain a relationship with the sheep. And the, the herdsman, he never had to actually, in the east, they never had to use his hook. He never had to use his rod and his staff. All he had to simply do was walk into the field and just begin to call for the sheep. And because they loved him, they would come running. That's the type of shepherd Jesus said that he was. My sheep know my voice. Yes. Hallelujah. Right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. All right, number five of the fivefold ministry. Say, teacher. Teacher, hopefully you guys are intrigued with this tonight, and this is helping some of you out. This is the biblical definition of the teacher. In the New Testament, a teacher is one who teaches concerning the things of God and the duties of men. I mean, that's just a fancy way of saying a teacher is exactly what you think a teacher is. It's a teacher. One who teaches things, the things concerning of God and the duties of men. Man, but this is interesting. You have to think again, these weren't Americans that wrote this book, that they were a part of a very specific culture. And the Jewish people had a term for the for the word teacher. Does anybody know what that term was? A rabbi. And so when it's speaking of teacher, it's talking about this idea of what a rabbi was. Because we think teacher, we think our fifth grade, you know, our sixth grade little science teacher that we had in fifth period. No, no, the picture here is a rabbi. So what was a rabbi? What did a rabbi do? Let's look at this. One aspect of being a rabbi, think about this. Rabbis would have students and disciples that they would train up, teach, and mentor. This is where you get discipleship. Rabbis in the Jewish culture, they would, they would show up and give lectures, and they would have disciples that would come and sit underneath their mentorship and receive from them and learn from them. In fact, everywhere that they went, they would, they would go with their rabbi. And the rabbi would walk along. If the rabbi was walking down the street, the disciples would walk down the street and listen to the rabbi. Watch the rabbi interact. Watch the rabbi do day-to-day -day things and learn from the rabbi, receive from the rabbi. John the Baptist, he was a teacher. He had disciples. The Pharisees had their own disciples. Jesus had his own disciples. And so when it's speaking of teacher, it's actually this picture of a rabbi. So a major part of rabbi, of being a teacher, is not just standing up, preaching to the Bible, uh, and saying, all right, guys, good luck, see you next week. It's discipleship. It's walking, it's living, it's talking, it's getting people around you where you train them up. Hallelujah. You do life with them. You show them how to do things, and they sit in, underneath you and receive from you. So the main office, one of the main things that the teacher handles is the discipleship aspect of Christianity. You know, Jesus didn't say, go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples. And I understand that somebody has to be converted before they can be discipled. That's the work of the evangelist. But we don't just get people saved and then kick them in the butt and send them out. You know, there is this picture Again, where they ate with Jesus, slept next to Jesus, operated in, with Jesus in the ministry, listened to his teaching for three years, and were trained up underneath him as their teacher and rabbi. Yes. So that's the discipleship element and function in the church there. So listen to this. This is a description from, of a rabbi. One of the things, one of the many things that a rabbi does, one aspect of being a rabbi 
is studying the Torah is a rabbi's lifelong undertaking that does not end with receiving ordination. So basically what that means is once they were ordained with, as a rabbi, studying the Torah, which what is the Torah? It was the law of God. It was the word of God. Um, you know, it was the law and the prophets that was giving, given under the old covenant. It says that they devoted themselves to a lifelong undertaking of studying the Torah. So what does a teacher do? A teacher devotes themselves to studying the word of God for a lifetime. Amen. Amen. If you're operating as a biblical teacher, you should see this element in your life. If you go through Bible college, somebody's watching, you say, well, I already went, I went through seminary, I went and I got my degree, you know, and then I'm done, and now I just go into the ministry. If you're a Bible teacher, you don't just go into the ministry and live off of revelation you got in Bible college. You devote yourself continually and constantly to the studying of the Word of God. You don't start reading less books now that you're out of school. You continue. You continue in the pattern of a lifelong a li- yeah, you become a lifelong student. A rabbi is expected to set aside time daily for study. If you feel a call to be a teacher in the body of Christ, let me just tell you something. You better be studying the Bible every day. Every day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A rabbi that does not constantly replenish his or her, her store of Torah learning will lack the knowledge inspiration, and mastery of Jewish law and traditions were required to perform all other rabbinic functions. Rabbinic, that's an interesting word there. Rabbinic functions. So let me read that one more time. A rabbi that does not constantly replenish his or her store of Torah learning will lack knowledge, inspiration, and mastery. So basically this is talking about as a Bible teacher, you have to constantly, constantly, constantly be feeding on the word, gaining knowledge, gaining revelation, gaining application, learning how to master this word and become a master at communicating this word to others. The minute that you stop feeding on the revelation of God's word as a Bible teacher, you will then become ill-equipped and unequipped to be able to carry out your duties and your role as a teacher in the body of Christ. So, again, a person of this office must have a lifelong dedication to the word of God, constantly increasing their knowledge and application through study of the word of God. In the Bible, I told you this last week, I believe it was Wednesday, but in the New Testament, as apostles were going out planting churches, they were appointing two different groups of people. They were appointing bishops and they were appointing, uh, appointing deacons. A bishop was basically a teaching elder. You guys remember that? A bishop is a teaching elder. When you read the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3, you read the book of Titus, you hear them using words like bishops and deacons. And if you're like me, I had no idea really what that meant because we don't really use those terms today. Some, some denominations in some parts of the world still do. If you've ever heard of the man Bishop David Oyedepo, you may say bishop. What's the difference? What's, what's, is that just a term like reverend? Is that just a term like minister, like pastor? No, a bishop was a a teaching elder in a local assembly. 
So basically what that would look like is, again, an apostle would come along, or think about this, an apostle and an evangelist would come along, preach the word, an apostle would come and plant the work, and then begin to raise up people, train up people, people that needed to preach, people that were discipled, and now could step into the role as a teacher to those new converts coming in and that would carry on the work in teaching the sheep. That was a bishop. Now, a deacon was basically a, a leader, an elder. They weren't any less of a leader, but they were really appointed to assist the teaching pastors with secular matters. So again, it's like, you know, I'll give you an example. Dr. Rodney Howard Brown, he is a pastor, but he's also a bishop of his church. He's a teaching pastor. What does Dr. Rodney Howard Brown do? He devotes himself. They're on day number 700 of the stand where he preaches every day, you know, for like 700 days. Well, let me just tell you something. What do you do? You know, well, you still got to eat. You still have to do laundry. You still have to pay bills. You still have to take care of things. There's electric bills that need to be taken care of at the church. There's calls that need to be made, things that need to be done when you're running an actual organization. So who handles all of those things? Because sometimes with the demand of ministry and the demand of the call of studying the word of God, you know, it's impossible for one person to do both of those things. And so that's where deacons were appointed to come along and, and handle all of those secular matters so that those that were called to teaching the word could give themselves over to studying, prayer, and preaching the word of God. So really, a bishop would be a Bible teacher. Amen. I'm going to give you a warning for teachers. This is James 3, verse 1. The Bible warns about those that step into the role of a Bible teacher. James said, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. We who teach will be judged more strictly. This just basically means this. You know, if you're just a Christian and you have funky doctrine or funky theology, at the end of the day, it's not good. And for a lack of knowledge, your life will perish. You know, you'll lack certain things because of funky wrong doctrine. Only, only solid doctrine. The closer we get to solid doctrine is the closer everything produces according to the, how the Word of God says in our lives. So if, if you're just an individual and you say, well, I have my own beliefs, my own thoughts, my own things. At the end of the day, if you're wrong, you're just accountable for you. At the end of the day, if you're wrong about what you believe, you're accountable for you and maybe your intermediate family. If you're a man, especially your wife, your children, what you preached and taught them. But if you're a Bible teacher and you're wrong, you're not only accountable for you, you're accountable for everybody that entrusted their lives to you for you to teach them the word of God. And James isn't saying, well, we should all be afraid. No, he's saying you just don't need to enter into this lightly you must understand the weight of this that if you're a teacher it's a high call and it's such a privilege to be able to do it but you will be judged more strictly by the lord because ultimately what you teach won't just affect your life it'll affect everybody's lives yeah, amen. amen so what is a bible teacher here's the summary of it it this is a person appointed by jesus to the body of christ to teach the word of god and to make Disciples, very simple. This is a person appointed by Jesus to the body of Christ to teach the word of God and make disciples.
Praise the Lord. That's the fivefold ministry. Now, to wrap up this sermon, we're going to be ending a little early tonight. And that's okay. That's good. I'll let you guys go eat and go spend some time with your family. Uh, but I do want to end this with giving you a few facts about the fivefold ministry. I think I have three facts here. Three points that you need to understand about the fivefold ministry. Maybe questions that you have. Um, number one, you must be appointed by Jesus. Ephesians 4.11, these are the gifts. Who gave the church? Christ. You cannot just simply decide, I'm, I want to be a preacher. I want to be a pastor. I think I want to be a prophet. Guys, I'm telling you, we live in a generation that uses and abuses that. If you go hang around at a prophetic conference for like 15 minutes, you'll get 15,000 different business cards. Well, I'm, I'm Apostle so-and-so and Prophet Anderson and, and Apostle Nichols. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, you know, people think that you just kind of take this upon yourself. Well, I sure think that I'd like to be an evangelist, so I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go print me out a nice business card and go around and tell everybody, you know, hi, my name's Evangelist John. It doesn't work that way. You can't just simply choose and decide to step into the fivefold ministry. You must be appointed by Jesus Christ. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You must be appointed. Right. And I'll get to this in just a moment that again, he doesn't pick and choose special people. If you're called to the fivefold ministry, you're no better, you're no more spiritual, you're no more glorious than the sheep in which you are instructed to or assigned over and God doesn't see you as better or more spiritual it's just simply a piece of the body that's placed exactly where the Lord wills it amen, amen. and so stop let's stop making platforms and let's stop making celebrities and looking at people oh man you're just so gifted and amazing and wonderful I'll say it a thousand times it is by the grace of God that you are what you are, and it is by the grace of God that anybody is what they are. Yeah. Hallelujah. Right. You know, and ultimately, if you are called to teach, that's a gift. That's it. All of these five-fold offices are gifts. You know what that means? Is that you don't have to kill yourself to be a good Bible teacher. You don't have to sit and stress and pound your head against the wall and I wish that I was a good teacher. It's like the Lord gives you the ability to do it well. I'll, I'll prove this to you. Look at this in Romans chapter 12. In his grace, verse 6, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Say well. well. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So again, if, if you're a Bible teacher, that's what God's called you to do. It's like this grace that comes on you where, yes, you must be given to study. Yes, you must be given to spiritual matters. Yes, you must be a student of the word. But there is a supernatural ability that comes on you to simply function more proficiently in that area than another person may be able to. What is hard for one person may be easy for another person. Why? Because they're special and they're more liked by God, and they're going to be more blessed by God? Absolutely not. He said, yes, no, absolutely not. 
It's a gift. Hallelujah. And so you must be appointed by Jesus Christ. Guys, can I just tell you this? Going to Bible college does not make you a minister. I wish that we would drop that stupid standard. Well, if you're going to be a minister, you, you need to go to Bible college. Well, Bible college is a good thing. I went to Bible college. But I'm going to tell you that it's like what, instead of making that the standard, well, we're looking to appoint someone to the ministry, so let's start looking for who has a Bible college degree. Why don't we actually just start with who's been appointed by Jesus Christ first, and then we'll look at the other things. <laughs> because you could go get all the degrees, certificates, uh, doctorates behind your name that you could imagine. And if you're not appointed by Jesus Christ, that does, you're not a minister. You're not called to the fivefold. Right. Amen. So under this, you must be appointed by Jesus Christ. I said it early on in this teaching. You must have a spiritual encounter and be appointed by Jesus into these roles. I'll tell you firsthand, when it comes to appointing people in this church. I don't just simply look around and, I, I mean, I, I've, I'm done doing that. Just throw something on somebody, especially, I'm talking especially in the role of ministry. People do that. They just kind of fill roles. Well, we have a vacancy. We have a role that we need to be filled. Let's just throw people into it. And then guess what? That person goes into it, and they were never called by God. They were called by man to do it. And guess what? When you step into something, you can be a servant, you can have a pure heart, you can have all of those things, but if you're not appointed by Jesus Christ, there's no grace for you to do it. So you know what happens? You get burnout, you get frustrated, you get discouraged because you're like, I've been asked to do this thing and I'm just not well at it. I'm not good at it. It's not easy. It doesn't flow. It doesn't function. Well, it's because Jesus didn't appoint you to do it. The first thing that I'll look for is, is listening. I want to hear a story about how you had an encounter with the Lord where he called you into your office. Amen. Amen. So once you've been appointed, you must also pass the test of qualifications. I know I read them to you Wednesday, but let's just turn and read them one more time. In Titus chapter 1, turn your Bibles to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 1, in verses 5 through 9. Paul says, I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed. See, that's exactly what apostles do, as I said this morning. An elder must live. This is qualifications. An elder must live a blameless life, and he must be faithful to his wife. His children must be believers who, do, who have a good reputation for, I'm sorry, who don't have a reputation for being wild and rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, and he must not be heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just, and he must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message that he was taught. Then, say then, 
he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. So let me tell you, number one, you have to be appointed by Jesus Christ. And then once you're appointed by Jesus Christ, you must still meet qualifications. So let me just tell you this, your gift does not qualify you. You also have the, the character to back up the appointment. But, you know, we don't do that. Again, we really live in a generation where as long as someone's gifted, as long as someone's got the charisma, as long as someone can just keep people's attention and, and be a good entertainer, we don't care about the qualifications. You could miss every mark on that list of qualifications, but if you, if you have, you know, this charisma and this gift and this ability, then that's all that matters. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You must be appointed by Jesus, and then after you're appointed by Jesus, you must meet qualifications. So let's just kind of open up another can of worms. So what happens if you're appointed by Jesus, but then you don't meet qualifications to do the thing that you've been appointed to do? What happens? You make decisions that actually cause you to be disqualified from the role that God's called you to. Amen. Guys, and I know that we really hear preaching and stuff that it, like it just doesn't matter how you live, doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter what you don't do. Uh, it, it, it won't hinder God's purpose and plan for your life. That's not true. You think it was Judas's will? I'm sorry, God's will that Judas committed suicide? Absolutely it wasn't God's will. Judas was one of the original 12 I know it was predicted by, in the scripture, but just because it was predicted and God had foreknowledge of it didn't mean that it was his absolute perfect will for Judas. No, it absolutely wasn't. In fact, Jesus, you know, he even, in the Last Supper, he made a plea to Judas. He really did. He gave G Judas the cup of honor. He seated Judas in that banquet, if you understand their culture, in the seat of honor. And he, and he laid his head on his chest. And basically, it was like Jesus making this plea. Like, you don't have to do what you're about to do. But Ju Judas went ahead and did it anyways. He was given over to that spirit. So what happened to Judas? He did things that ultimately did cost him his role and his life. And so, yes, you must be appointed by Jesus. And then you must, you must also pass the tests of qualifications according to the scriptures. Amen. Number two, facts about the fivefold. Number two is this. This is the job. I want you to write this down in your notes. The job of the fivefold ministry. We find this in Ephesians 4.12. Again, you have the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, the pastor, these five different gifts that Christ gave to the church. And it says this, there for equipping, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. God gives the fivefold, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, the pastor. For what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Let's break this down. Number one, equipped. What does that mean? Well, equipped, that Greek word means complete furnishing, equipping. Say equipped. Okay, so they equip you. They completely furnish you for what? The work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? The work, the business, the employment that which one is occupied, that which one undertakes to do, enterprise undertaking. So basically, they equipped you 
They furnish you with what you need to do what the Lord has appointed you to do. But it says the work of the ministry. Say ministry. This is actually really interesting here. That word ministry. If you look at the Greek word used for ministry, it's the word deacon. Wow. So the fivefold's job is to equip the saints for the work of being a deacon in the body of Christ. What's a deacon? Again, it's a church leader. A deacon is an elder of secular affairs. So let's wrap this all together and say it like this. The goal of the fivefold minister is to train up each person for the ministry of a deacon who aids, who leads, and who assists in the ministry of the local church. Hallelujah. Y'all are being quiet tonight. Are y'all excited to be here? Is this good? Is this helping anybody? The job is to equip each person. Brother Sam, my job is to equip you for the work of a deacon. My job's to equip you, Tracy. My job's to equip you, Miss Sam. My job's to equip you, Dustin, to train you up to the ministry, the work of a deacon, which is one who aids, who leads. Say aids. My job is to train you where you can aid the, the ministry of this local church. My job is to train you up so that you can function in leadership capacity in the ministry of this local church. My job is to train you up so that you can assist in the ministry of this local church. Each and every one of you. We're not here just to fill chairs and to preach messages. We're here to make disciples and to train you up for the work of the ministry. Praise God tell you, you know, if you're a Christian and you're not interested in that, I don't want to be trained up for the work of the ministry. I don't want to assist. I don't want to aid. I don't want to lead the, in the ministry in any way, shape, form, or capacity. Oh, you, you need to go evaluate your heart. Because if that's the case, then you'll only ever be a person that pops in, that pops out, that hears a message, and lives a life completely disconnected from what the Lord is doing. You have to settle it in you first that that's what I want. I would like that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number three, write this down. Um, Here's the third and final point tonight. God chooses who he wills for the fivefold. God chooses who he wills for the fivefold. I had a, a student come and ask me after service. It was Antonio. He said, so does every single person fit in one of the categories of the fivefold ministry? That's a deep, pretty decent question. Does every single person fit in one of the five categories? Does every person fit? Does every person fit in the role of a teacher, a pastor, an evangelist, an apostle, a prophet? I'm going to tell you biblically, I believe no. I don't believe that. The reason why, 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 31, it says this. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we have the ability to do miracles? Do we all have the ability to speak in the unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. Say, of course not. Are we all apostles? Of course not. Are we all prophets? Of course not. Are we all teachers? Of course not. Hallelujah. But you should earnestly desire the most 
helpful gifts. So not everyone is called to the fivefold ministry. Amen. There's, there's 19 other gifts that you can function in and not have to be called to the fivefold ministry. Praise the Lord. Okay, so God chooses who he wills for the fivefold. Again, let me give you a few scriptures here. It says, but our bodies have many parts. Again, this is in 1 Corinthians 12. It's talking about the different gifts, the different placements, the different members. Our bodies have many parts, and God, say God, puts each part where who wants it? Where he wants it. God puts each part where he wants it. Ultimately, if you are a member of the fivefold, it's because God wanted you and appointed you as that position. Amen. Amen. It's just as simple as that. God decides it. Man doesn't decide it. You don't decide it. I don't decide it. God decides it. That settles it. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone. Say he alone. Who alone? The spirit decides which gift each person should have. You know, I pray the the prayer that you should honestly pray. I prayed this prayer. I remember when I had moved here, I did what the Lord told me to do. And I, one night after about a year or so, maybe more of living here, I was, I was watching a documentary in my living room on Billy Graham's life. And I was listening to his life, his story. And when he got saved, he didn't know what to pray. He didn't know what to say. He just got touched by the Lord and he fell to his knees and his prayer, his salvation prayer was just simply this. He said, Lord, I'll go whatever, wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll be whatever you want me to be and I'll say whatever it is that you want me to say. You know, it so moved me that I got down on my knees and I prayed the same prayer and it wasn't just copycatting. It was like the anointing filled that living room and I felt I need to get down and I need to repeat that prayer. I got down on my knees. My wife's in bed, kids asleep. I actually don't even know if we had Emberly quite yet then. And I prayed that prayer, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll be whatever you want me to be. I'll say whatever you want me to say. And I kid you not, within two weeks, within two weeks of that prayer, the door opened up for us to begin to pastor the church that was here, that we began to pastor before we founded this ministry. Why? Because, again, at the end of the day, if the Lord told me, you're called to business, I would have went straight to business. I wouldn't have went into the ministry. I wouldn't have tried to pastor. I wouldn't have tried to juggle both things. I said, Lord, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do because you decide which part I am and the gift that I carry. And I'm just, instead of arguing with you and trying to shoulda, coulda, woulda, I wish I had that and coveting what somebody else has, had, what somebody else has I'll just surrender to you. And be what you've called me to be. Hallelujah. So look at this. So again, God chooses who he wills for the fivefold. Paul says this in Galatians 1.15. Even before I was born, God chose me. God chose me. God chose me. And called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him. Who called and appointed Paul as an apostle? God. Jesus. Specifically. Jeremiah 1.5, the Lord said to the prophet Jeremiah, 
I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. <laughs> Hallelujah. Guys, this is so encouraging because both Paul and Jeremiah said the Lord chose and appointed them before they ever even said a word. Before they ever sinned, before they ever did anything righteous and good and holy, before they said goo goo gaga, God already chose and appointed them for his purposes. So that means that they were appointed apart from their works. So, I mean, it's, again, I'll just wrap it up by saying this. God doesn't appoint the holiest, the best, the most spiritual. He doesn't appoint people that have just, you know, separated themselves because they're the standard of grace. No, he chooses people to function in different roles in his divine wisdom. This is amazing because this makes for unity in the body of Christ. Because if Jesus appoints based on the Father's sovereignty then one appointment is not better or greater than the other. If God appoints, and it's not something that you just, you know, we think it's ranks, right? That's how we really treat it. We look at an apostle, we look at a pastor, and we're like, oh, you've worked your way up the ranks, like the military. And, you know, you deserve something because you are great, and you are a little guy like me or a little girl like me, and then you worked your way up, and you're greater than I am. Absolutely not. God doesn't appoint by your ability to work and by your merit. It's sovereignty. It's like in the military, instead of working your way up the ranks, that it's like a, a, a person in their infinite wisdom knows your skill set, your ability, and in fact, they gave it to you, and they just appoint you to a position that you never worked for or earned or could do anything for in a million years. That's how it is with the Lord. So this makes for unity in the body of Christ. Romans 12, 3 through 4. I'm going to end with this. Paul said, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give you each this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function and it is God who appoints you to that special function so you better get some humility and not think that you're better than you actually are hallelujah I want you to just say this say I am what I am by the grace of God say I'll do what he calls me to do by his grace hallelujah I want you to just stand to your feet. I'm going to pray a blessing over you and dismiss you this night to go eat, go fellowship with your friends, the church, with your family, whatever you got to do. Father, bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. Bless them in their coming. Bless them in their going. I release the word right now that this week will be blessed in Jesus' name. Again, opportunities open up for them. Brother Tim wasn't even here, and the blessing was chasing him down this weekend. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, that you don't show favoritism and you don't pick and choose your favorites. You'll do for all what you'll do for one. And I thank you for testimonies this week of your provision coming in in the mighty name of Jesus. It'll come in from the north, south, east, and west that you'll cause men, the Bible says in Luke 6.38. Jesus said if you give, he would cause men to give liberally unto you. 
Hallelujah. Father, thank you, Brother Tim, experienced that where you caused man to give abundantly to him. I thank you for every person here that this week they shall receive in the mighty name of Jesus. I want you to say this. Say, this week I'm receiving a miracle from God. I expect it. I believe it. And I receive it in Jesus' name. Y'all just give the Lord a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love you all. You're dismissed. You can go eat. Thank you for coming. We will see you tomorrow for prayer or Wednesday night for service. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the Word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time, this is John Wallace.